Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Yo, yo, yo. My name is Emily, and I don't know what else to say after that. (laughs) Well, most people say their last name. So, I mean, finish the couplet. That is not rap worthy. Rettinghouse. I'm not going to argue with that. I I agree that it's not rap worthy. My name's Rettinghouse, (laughs) and I'm here to say, repping Jesus the Methodist way. Ayo. That was good. So what are y'all drinking? That was terrible. Are you kidding me? That was the most low energy freestyle you've ever heard, I think. better than mine, Stephen. (laughs) Kay, better than mine. All right, I'll take it. it. Take it. I'll take it. Thank you. I, to answer your question, Emily, um, because I would love to share, I'm drinking a citrus potato milk drink today. Huh? I have made myself a cocktail, and it is my first time practicing a recipe using ube, the purple yam. It's very common in some Southeastern Asian cuisine. And so I made what's called ube halia, and I am probably butchering that, but it's spelled H-A-L-A-Y-A. And it's usually a pudding that's made with coconut milk, condensed milk, and cooked down ube. And it produces this like really bright purple custardy kind of thing. And you can make it as like thin or thick as you want, basically. So I went the thinner route and I looked up some cocktails to make with it because I'm going to make some cocktails for some friends tonight. And so it is two tablespoons of this ube pudding, one part pineapple juice, one part vodka, a little bit of lemon juice, and then a whole bunch of LaCroix. And it's pretty good. It's like very tropical-y and like a little like textury. Mm-hmm. So yeah, citrus potato milk. Citrus Get potato some. milk. Potato milk. Okay. Huh. It's the mad lib of beverages. Okay, Steven. Huh. I have a delicious uh, barley beverage by the name of uh, Raise Your Glasses. Or get your bingo card ready, forthcoming bingo card ready, uh, because I have a rocks glass of Lagavulin 16 Scotch whiskey. Um, ah, ooh, just a classic. Ah. I'm just on that vibe today. I feel ya. Um, it is 30 mile per hour winds here today, so I wanted something to warm me up, keep me cozy. So I made a classic London fog in my style with vanilla and lavender, uh, and today I decided to use almond milk. Instead of regular, so nice. It is very nice. Uh, it, it's it's hitting all the right notes. Um, so it's my topic, and when we jumped on, I was like, "Oh shit, it's my topic." Uh-huh. Uh huh. Not so much because I didn't know what to talk about, but it's like, "Oh, it's already my topic." <laughs> but what I want to talk about <laughs> is a kind of a continuation from our last patron submitted topic, and I believe it was Sarah who brought up in regards to sins and pastors and oh, the yeah. roles of pastors, right? So y'all remember that was a hot 
hot take for me because she was pointing out all the things. I was hallelujah. Yes, sister. Preach it. But I want to have the conversation about like the priesthood of all believers and, you know, what what is a pastor's role if this idea of the priesthood of all believers is there in the universe? Right. Uh, I certainly don't want to diminish my role, but I certainly don't want to put it on a pedestal either. Mm. I know I have many skills. I know I am called and qualified but i ain't all that in a bag of chips like i have (laughs) i have my areas of growth and i know that there are things that other pastors do that are very good friends of mine that they excel at that i am you know dipping my toe in and so i want to i want to see what you all think about this idea of the priesthood of all believers and what would you want if you could build like customize a pastor, what would your pastor look like? And is that achievable in the world today? Wow. That's a what a banger question. Yeah, that's a fun one. You're welcome. Um, that should be on the bingo card. Emily asks a banger question. It's like <laughs> that'd be every episode yeah, that you lead. <laughs> right. Or honestly every episode, because she she's very present with us while we ask our own questions. <laughs> Man, I do love the the question though about the priesthood of unbelievers, because I've I feel like it's such a term that gets thrown around and Mm -hmm. focused on Mm -hmm. by several communities. And then I feel like it gets kind of just skated over by others because either it sounds weird or like it doesn't feel applicable to our modern context or whatever. Um, Emily, could you remind us where where the origin of that phrase comes from? Is it the book of Hebrews? I believe it is i'm gonna i'm doing my quick little doesn't it seem like something the hebrews would talk about yeah but i also think paul might talk about it as well uh, especially yeah. when he's talking about like there's nor female well, nor greek or oh my god i can't talk no nor male nor female slave nor free potato milk drink is really getting to him oh <laughs> the, the oh this is before protestantism um in the Odes of Solomon, I know there's an early understanding, like reference to the idea of the priesthood of all believers. And then like Tertullian had some similar phrases or beliefs in the priesthood of all believers. But this was focused on the lady being led and influenced by other followings. But it was huh. Tertullian had this idea. And then Irenaeus also had an argument about the priest of all believers. And actually one of uh. the lines that he's quoted with was for all the righteous possess the sacredodal rank. So I literally odal. like that phrase. Can you define yeah. odal? Sacredodal? Oh, How? sacredodal. Got sacredodal, it. yeah. Okay. What what are the odes of Solomon? I've never heard of that. The odes of Solomon are if I I gotta remember this correctly, the odes of Solomon it's a collection written and attributed to Solomon. They're dated either the first century or the second century. Some scholars have suggested a later date, but what they are, are basically like his odes, his ballads, his writings that he collaborated with for like Gnostic sort of writings. Like not, yeah, not like, apologetics per se but very much wanting to look at writings of the dead scrolls and 
taking some w- wisdom and knowledge from that and incorporating it into his own writings. Mm, interesting. I do have an update, though, as far as like a scriptural use of the concept. <gasps> Lay it it's on not us. not Hebrews. It's First Peter. Oh, First Peter. Yeah, chapter two. Shall I read some of this for us? Shall. Wow, reading of the Lord. Wow. <laughs> Trigger warning? I shouldn't say that phrase. <laughs> A reading from the Holy Scriptures. No. Um, no, you, you can say that phrase because you everyone is a part of the sacred odal. Thank you. Oh my God, I can't even say that word. No, it's, the word of God for the people of God. Yeah, you, go. you're, you're part of the priesthood, Stephen. Of course you have the right to say that. The first epistle of Peter to Christians everywhere. Chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Um, And then later in verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Quick story time, flashback. Story time. I feel like I have to tell you this because I don't think I've ever told you this. In the Greenlight Conference Center in Greenlake, Wisconsin, of which I attended multiple Holy Spirit Charismatic Revival League conferences there growing up, the conference grounds was bought and developed by Kraft, like of Kraft Mac and Cheese. I don't remember his first name. Um, it's probably some old-timey white dude name. But he like was a major investor of the grounds and he he's passed away now but in his time on earth he had a rock collection that was like phosphoric and like fluorescent so like under black light these rocks glow and he like collected them and would like assemble them into like an object lesson for the gospel like some of them are like arranged in like a cross mosaic or like in I can't even remember the other ones or some of them are just like on a pedestal, but there, so there exists at this conference center and it's really hard to find any information about this online. I swear it's been scrubbed from the internet. I found one place where it's mentioned, but his rock collection is downstairs in the basement of this hotel and you can go in and like press the recording and it like gives you this like show where (laughs) there's like this old timey voice speaking to you. I swear it's like gotta be a recording from like the fifties or sixties because it sounds like it. But this guy comes on and he's talking about how like these stones are living stones and because these stones are like glowing under the black light. And it's like it feels really cheesy, but it's also like kind of cool, I guess. And it's just like a really weird factoid that is a part of my childhood. Huh. Wow. Wow. So we're bringing a lot back for you. A lot of memories yeah. flooding back. But I never realized that that verse um, that was always quoted in the thing was like right before talking about like the sainthood of all believers Mm -hmm. like those Mm -hmm. those don't feel connected to me initially so that is kind of interesting to hear that they're like right next to each other basically it is fascinating my cornerstone yeah no it's Mm -hmm. that's where it comes from right where that lyric comes from in christ alone is uh like we're all living stones of this temple or this priesthood of all believers where christ is the cornerstone keeping it all up you know Yeah. Initially, Emily, I think that my answer is that I think that the concept of the priesthood of all believers, I think at face value sounds very inclusive. And I think oftentimes it is used that way based off of my understanding of it, as in like uh, the way I've heard people teach about it is like the democratization of theology, 
in a way. Like in some ways I feel like our podcast is like in the spirit of that. Yeah. Even though we haven't used that language before, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Like maybe that is a misconception. Uh, that's just like how I've heard it like talked about as in like, we're all priests under Jesus, but it also kind of feels like a, well, if everybody's special, nobody is kind of situation. Mm. And I, I really hear your point about the pastorship. I'm going to mull over that some more because I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I have okay. beef with the idea of if all are special, then no one is. Ooh, okay. I don't. Okay. I just don't like the logic of that phrase. Like, I think I know what you're saying, Josh, but I just don't like when people use that as an argument for like, you know, like on Twitter, Josh, you and I have been seeing some people coming at me for some universalist takes lately. And one of the arguments tends to be when it comes to universalism is like, well, if everyone's saved, then like, what's the point? Or like, Mm, yeah, what? I can't feel special if I know that everyone is saved. And I just think that lacks imagination. Mm. (laughs) I just, Mm. I want people to be like, no, I mean, like as long, I guess as long as we're defining special in comparison to something worse and already like implying a value judgment there. Sure. I guess that holds up. But at the same time, like the whole point of this journey, in my opinion, is to find places where we don't have to be comparing ourselves to others. So Mm. I don't have to be special compared to you. I can just rest in my own specialness. That's defined by some internal uh, sense of self-worth, or if I allow it to be defined by something like God, right? Mm, Like, why can't I just take that for what it is and not need to compare it to everyone around me to be like, well, if I'm not as special as Emily, then what, what's the point? You know, like anyway, right. I just don't, I don't like that idea. I wholly reject that idea. If everything is special, then everything is special. I don't think it invalidates everything. Mm. Amen. Um, end of episode. Okay. Bye. (laughs) So I, I'm thinking just in terms of characters in the Bible, right? Like Peter, was a Jew, right? So when he uses, or at least when the author of this epistle uses the word priesthood, they have something in mind, and that would be a priest serving in the temple, correct? What do you think? I think that's an appropriate assumption to make, because these are basically like Jesus's apostles doing commentary on Jewish life as they convince people that he was the Messiah or is the Messiah and a rabbi worth following. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we think of Jewish priests... And I think even these verses get there, but like we're talking about offering holy sacrifices, which I think we've kind of in Christianity graduated from the idea of like literally slitting the throat of a ram or something. And our sacrifice can be more psychological or moral or mental, you know, it's more internalized. But I think of like the priests are making sacrifices, they're offering worship right? They're lighting the incense. They're keeping the the lights going in the temple or the tabernacle. They're keeping the, sh- the plate of showbread full. There's a lot of like service aspects to it. So when I think priesthood of all believers, I think, are there specific things that we're trying to get at? Like, is this trying to say that we have a mandate to worship together in song or a mandate to support the community through sharing food or shelter. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, is that what that gives us? 
Is that the takeaway we should have? Maybe. Well, what do you think? Maybe there's more to it than just that, because if we see it as a mandate, we see it as an obligation and therefore our love or the amount of love we pour into following said mandate, I think, starts to diminish because it's an opportunity. And I'm using that word intentionally for people to start drifting off and just saying, oh, yep, like this is my routine. Like this is what I'm called to do. This is what I have to be in the world. And it's like you were saying earlier, where's your imagination? Where is the creativity and the spark that drives you and makes it fresh and new and lively and special and wonderful? Mm. Because you can do all those things, but not have a heart behind it, not have love actually be the center of those things. It's why I'm following this rule because I was told to. That's how we use the commandments. That's how we use other mosaic laws. That's how we use even rules that Jesus spoke in the New Testament. You know, oh, I got to do this Mm. because. Yeah. Why? What's the the because? (laughs) Right. I hear that. I also think that there might have been an element that Peter is leaning on that includes that. For instance, just it was the Levite's task to be the priestly class, right? Mm -hmm. So to a degree, it was like a boy was born into the tribe of Levi and it was kind of a thing where like, I, like I imagine like his heart wasn't really in it, but that was, that's what he was supposed to do to fulfill his role in society. You know, do you think that many people have connected the priesthood of all believers language to, I believe it's Paul. I think it's in one of the Corinthians where he's talking about the body being a temple for the Holy Spirit. Mm. I'm sure somebody has at some point. I mean, the language is there. I feel like there's some really interesting writings about like embodiment theology. Like I'm reminded of Mason Menenga. He just wrote his thesis on an embodied theology and how like we often neglect the importance of like the body in terms of mm-hmm. theology, whether it's like belief or practice mm-hmm. and how like we, we can have a view of the Bible leading us towards an embodied theology. I'm sure you can find a copy of his thesis somewhere. I was just kind of looking for it and I can't find it immediately, but we'll try and find a link and put it in the show notes because it's out there. Um, he did just do an episode on his podcast, A People's Theology with Sarah Lane Ritchie, and they were talking about some of the research around psychedelics and religious experience. Oh, fascinating. There's also some interesting studies on. Um, she talked about like her participation in a legal psychedelics trial and religious experience. And she herself is like a scholar of science and religion. So that was a fascinating episode. Great listen. Uh, Mm. But they like talked a little bit about that concept of embodied theology and theology as embodiment. And I think that you could definitely make an argument for the priesthood of believers aspect tying into that. To your point, Emily, about like it meaning more than just like sacrifice and like feeding others and, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I like that take a lot. Do you think that the priesthood of all believers language is in competition with the concept of pastoring or do you think it's not in competition? I don't think it's in competition. Mm, Okay. Why not? Or like, what do you, what do you see as the synthesis there? I think what it does is it allows those who are not on a path of ordination or commissioning or whatever terminology y'all's denominations use 
to say that you are a part of this. Like you may not be the one standing at the pulpit, but you still bring something to the table. And if anything, it should be valued more. And here's why. And I think for me being someone who was discerning ordination and was wondering, you know, is it really worth it? Like I can do other things with these gifts too. Like, am I really called? Blah, blah, blah. And then understanding that, hey, regardless of my title, I can still do all these things, be the person that I'm called to be and fulfill tasks before me for the betterment of creation and humanity and know that I still have a sense of belonging. And I think ordination was like the thing that kind of pushed me towards that even more, but it wasn't in a sense of I'm better than you. This is now a hierarchy of who's better, who has worked their way to the top. Hmm. It was a way for me to pursue my call. But that doesn't mean others can't pursue their call in their own way and just have as much meaning as I do with mine. It sounds like you are not parroting. That feels like an insulting term, but it that it sounds like you're taking that idea from Paul when he's talking about uh, the spiritual gifts of like to some the gift of administration, to some prophecy, to some tongues, to some prayer, you know, mm-hmm. it's like. The, the concept of a priesthood of all believers is begging participation from someone more than just the vocational person at the front of the room, right? Right. It's beckoning people in, inviting them into a space where they can find their sweet spot yeah, in service, like, right? Not everyone can be a doctor. Not everyone can be a teacher. Not everyone can be an accountant. Yeah. Not everyone can be a pastor, but everyone has abilities and gifts to bring to the table to help ensure that creation thrives and that the world is a better place and humanity knows mm-hmm. and understands the deep concept of love and what love can look like if we all care for one another and love each other. But that's going to require a little oomph. And so maybe the oomph that we're missing is something that I don't necessarily have. Like maybe Josh has it. Maybe you have it, Stephen. And we invite you to bring that to the table. like. Come and be a part of it. I I kind of struggle with a conversation like this to not think of it in terms of like an organized church setting of like even what I was just saying and what you were just saying, Emily. Like it's hard for me because I was so deep in it for a while, right? Like I, I've been a worship pastor for the majority of my life. Worship leader, I should say, not a worship pastor, but I was a worship leader from uh, basically seventh grade to only two or three years ago. So like I've been the volunteer, I've been paid staff. I have been deeply plugged in like the organized thing that typically leads up to a Sunday morning. Right. And it's hard for me to not have this conversation and not, um, not quite triggered, but I, I at least feel a little activated by the sense of like, all the pressure that gets put on people with a phrase like priesthood of all believers of like, find your sweet spot. Like, but then we're just going to define like the few drawers that we can put you in of like serve on the children's team, serve on the welcome team, serve on the worship team. And it's like, that's, and that's it. If you don't fall in that, we really don't know what to do with you. Mm. And I think that that becomes a lonely place for people who don't feel called to any of those places. And 
it also feels lonely to have that conversation and be like, yeah, I just, I do not want to participate in that. Mm. But there's another way to think about it for me where it's like, I really think that the three of us, as far as like we are concerned as an organization that is Ravel, like I think we have our sweet spots. We have found our sweet spots among like the division of duty we have found among like Josh managing the social media. I do the sound design and editing because that's what I love doing. Emily really shows up in kind of like that pastoral care sense, like inside the discord. Mm -hmm. And even to that's how you present yourself to just the two of us as well. Emily, like Mm. you, you are like a incredibly like welcoming and listening ear, you know, and that's your sweet spot. Thank you. And I feel like this is one of the first things I've participated in my life. It's the first thing I've participated in where it's not, organized church and maybe you could call it para church depending on how you want to look at it but it uh it's, it's church it's providing a new it's church okay really church well the greek word for church means those sent out hmm so in my mind this would be church i mean i can get on board with that i think that's great <laughs> like if this is the kind of church that i'm okay with attending right now mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fine mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Steven, I really like your point about religious work. Like, I feel like the priesthood language can often be interpreted explicitly or implicitly as like, a justification for individuals' religious work inside the church and not necessarily gravitating towards that sending outness of being religious and that mm. like affecting your entire being and way of being. And I feel like that's kind of what the idea of embodied theology is getting at too, in that like being Christian and being religious does not mean and should not mean simply church attendance or ascribing to a set of beliefs or even like a set number of practices or sacraments, like just participation in things does not a Christian make. Yeah. To Emily's point, I think that the deeper meaning of priesthood slash religious work should be a complete changing from the inside out. And like, I think that that is a complication with the religious work angle is like, I think that when it gets used for just justifying religious work, whether it's pastoral or not, I think that it runs the risk of feeling very empty to people 
whether it's someone who burned out of ministry or burned out of volunteering, I think that that language can be absolutely misused for sure. Even though I think, like, according to my understanding, I think that at face value, it's talking about inclusion. It's talking about equal opportunity in the Christian faith. In the Christian body. Yeah. Yeah. And it it just like, it amazes me how easily it can be misused and like, like to grift people or to like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> even to just like misuse people. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of terrible. But uh, here's the, oh, go ahead, Stephen. I was just, uh, it, it feels like Emily, once again, you're nailing your sweet spot because you're bringing a listening ear and <laughs> uh, willing to push back in wonderful ways. But like, it feels like you are open to more of like an ecumenical idea of like a priesthood of all believers of like, Dang, Skippy. We're all serving, a, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, priesthood of all believers. And we happen to be the podcaster group, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And I think to both of your points, it's pastor's duty. And I'm using that word very intentionally, even though a couple episodes ago I was we giggled at not it like a fan children. Of it. Like children, we giggled <laughs> we at did. it. We did. But not today, <laughs> because pastors do have a duty to their congregation in regards to seeing roles and gifts and not just filling them for the sake of filling them. But seeing if the person who has said gift wants to do it, it is so easy to want to say, okay, we're having our upcoming annual conference where we're appointing who our leadership is for the committees. I know you used to be a teacher. So you, you know, are you cool with being our education chair? It's just a formality. Like, don't even worry about it. And then it turns out it's bigger than that. Mm. But because so-and-so was a teacher, it's like, hey, we want to hit that up. No. That person may be tired of teaching (laughs) like that person may be like, you know, I kind of want to dip my toes in the finance committee. I want to learn more about that. Absolutely. Please join the finance committee. Pastors have a duty to look at the person as not just a number or a means to filling a spot, but as a person, someone who has a heart and wants to intentionally use and be that heart in a capacity that they want to do and fill and be because if we start just turning to people like they're great for filling a spot that's going to do harm that that is how you start the ignition of burnout that is what starts it all off by just saying nope this is the only thing you can do this is the only thing you're good at and that's what we need right now please don't do anything else shame Shame, shame, shame on those institutions that are doing that. It's awful. And so, Stephen, for you, I am saddened that a conversation like this can activate feelings and emotions where for so long, being in the positions that you were in for your church, that's what you, you know, you were basically just a spot that needed to be filled. And it was great because you're so musically inclined And you have such a way with singing and with leading and creating a worship space. But you have so much more to offer than that. I'm not saying that what you offered was bad, but there is so much more to you than just that. And I think there was a lot of opportunities that you could have been involved in more life-giving ways for you. And then in turn, for others. Mm. (laughs) Because let's be real. I could have one person be the chairs of four committees and not have any heart behind it. 
But I could have someone, some Joe Schmo, who's not even a member of my church, come in and say, I would like to fill, I want to fill a role. I want to help in some way. I'm really passionate about this. Here's what I can do. I have all this heart, but I don't know what to do with it. I would rather have that person than the person who's the chair of four committees Mm. because they're just doing it. They don't have a passion behind it. They don't have good intentions of actually wanting those things to work out for others. It's, hey, look at me. I'm the chair of all these committees. I don't care. Go away. Shoo. Like, <laughs> come back to me when your heart's in the right place. Hmm. And I mean that nicely. Of course, it, well, I wouldn't really turn anyone away. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. There really is a, it's an interesting place to be, right? Because I can look back with the 2020 hindsight and say like, Yeah, I think maybe from the beginning, there were already patterns of like overuse almost of like, I just, it seems to me like you're the kind of leader and you're the kind of pastor of your church, Emily, that from the beginning is learning how to pay attention to every individual on the committee or on the team or whatever. And you're paying attention to like, ah, you are reaching a level of fatigue. Let me Mm. step in. And even if causes a gap to happen i would rather the person be okay than that specific maybe instrument maybe we just don't have a piano for a couple weeks while we let this person take a break Mm -hmm. like it seems like you're very mindful of that and i wish i had more leaders like that at my old churches but at the same time i also want to acknowledge the fact that when i was in it and when i was full of the juice and full of the energy like that's all i wanted is like I was getting high on the appreciation of being in my sweet spot. I'll be frank. Like I am a good worship leader. I sing well. So like I was getting high on the attention, but I was also getting high on the fact that I like, I really felt like I was plugged in somewhere, but Mm -hmm. there, there was a tipping point somewhere in the middle there where I started feeling not intentionally taken advantage of. But you were taken advantage of. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say I don't think they were even doing that on purpose. They were just they had just learned to rest on the fact that Stephen will show up. But you know? that's the Because that's that was the, the that was the pattern I established for them. That but that's just it. It's if we just rely on that pattern and then when you do step away, that can create a sense of disappointment then Uh, for both parties you're not reliable yeah like you're not reliable then if you're stepping away we thought you had it all what's going on right it's yeah other people can do what you do as well Mm -hmm. they may do it differently and that's okay but if you just rest on what you got it can fade like it (laughs) you are a person (laughs) you don't run on batteries yeah Which leads me to my next question, and I had brought it up at the beginning. If you were to style or create- I'm so glad you're bringing this back. Yes. Your perfect pastor. Now, there are regulations within this. No gender, sex, or any gender identity things, okay? This is, we're we're talking strictly about qualities and abilities. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with race, gender- sexuality this is the ability of the pastor yeah my immediate thought when you brought this up at the beginning was like it's like a build a bear workshop but build a pastor at the mall prepare a pastor there you go Mm. i'm gonna think on this for a sec josh in my mind and this might be the baptist speaking through me in my mind 
the less reliance on a single individual that a community has, the better. Wait, say that again? Um, for a religious community, in my opinion, the less reliance there is on a single individual, mm, okay. the better. Okay. I think that it could be possible for a religious community to be more or less interdependent, even if there is a single person who is on staff, who is functioning as a guide of spiritual wisdom, whether that is for teaching or for pastoral counsel and care, or whether it's a team of people. I think that there is, this is going to sound very anti-Catholic of me, and I don't mean it to be this way, but (laughs) I think that there is an unfortunate trajectory in American Christianity that is highly similar to corporate structure in which Mm. there is a select or multiple select individuals who hold all power and authority in that institution. And it is not community led, even if parts of the community are being involved and in some cases, arguably taken advantage of for their labor or for their time or for their reliance on authority and all of these hierarchy structures. I think that it Theoretically, I don't know all the details that would involve this, but I theoretically, I think it's possible for a religious community to exist on the basis of egalitarian interdependence and still look to someone for spiritual guidance. Yes. That's my hot take. I don't know if it exists in a denomination. I don't know all of the like aspects you would like look to and like the metrics to define that, but I think it's possible. Anything's possible. That's what I'd love to see. I'd love to go to a church like that if it exists. With God, so all things are possible. Your Build-A-Bear pastor is really a number of people. Yes, <laughs> so what you're and describing. or very like minimized in terms of like authority and power. Sure. It's like a buy one, get so, one free deal. I like it. All right, let's explore the minimization of authority and power. Yes, let's. Do we do that by not doing any sermons? By limiting them to short homilies in a discussion of the whole congregation afterward, like breakout groups or something like that? Like, do we even maintain the Sunday morning thing mm. that is is built around a single person or a collection of people talking at other people? You want to know my ideal pastor? Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I do. <laughs> so, I'm dying to know. You know, I'm a Methodist by what I'm going to say. We're sitting around a table eating food. Okay. That is first and foremost. I believe a pastor is the one who is cooking the meal. Whoa. I did not expect that. Sacrificing their time and their energy over a hot stove to prepare and to serve those at the table. And they serve those at the table. They sit down and they engage in conversation and they dive into scripture and they provide care and counsel for those who need it. But it is very much circle seated everyone's looking at each other and there is no hierarchy in the sense of i'm the reverend everyone look at me it's we're all looking at each other and i'm the one who is putting in this effort to serve you to nourish you so you can go and serve others and to carry this conversation afterwards with those whom you want to That's what I would want in a pastor. I like your description, but I also think it's good to acknowledge that in the act of serving someone, you can create a power dynamic. You can. Yes, you can. And as someone who's worked in the service industry, it is very easy. So that person needs (laughs) to Even if you don't mean to. Even if you don't mean to. But so that would then mean that the pastor, I guess in this role, needs to do a lot of checking with themselves and everyone at the table 
should be comfortable with putting the pastor in their place. Mm. And that's what I would want in a pastor is like if I if I was abusing my power, even if it was unintentional, I would want someone to check me and be like, yo, check yourself before you wreck yourself. And I would be like, you know what? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. I really like the idea of the pastor being the person who is effectively like hosting or preparing and serving, right? Like even down to the details of like, you're the one collecting the dishes when it's mm-hmm. over and you're going to end up being the one cleaning it. Like, uh, man, I was, I was just struck immediately with the image of Jesus washing the disciples feet of like, uh, yep, yep, goodness. Yep. Isn't, wasn't like it was there the whole time. <laughs> The, the servant leader, yeah. Diconia, servant leader. That was what Jesus was demonstrating. Setting aside yourself to serve others, to enrich others, mm-hmm. and to show what love and hospitality looks like. It is not self-driven. It is selfless. It is for the other. It is for those in the margins. It is for those who are disenfranchised. It is for those who are looked at as less than. For you to set your side of self to serve those people to serve those that would not be served. That's love. Like, oh, beautiful. In returning to my answer, (laughs) because I now have a secondary part of my answer after your answer, Emily. Yes. um, I think that the Christian tradition has suffered a major loss in divorcing itself from Jewish teaching practices in terms of like multiple teachers in community teaching based off of questions and individuals doing their own study. I think that like something like that would absolutely decentralize one person's teaching authority just by like mm. making a simple shift to that. I like it. Uh, and a story based approach to sharing wisdom and teaching like hundred percent. A parable is so much more sticky than a PowerPoint. Oh, that's what. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, and me- also how much more compelling is it to tell the story of Jesus in the resurrection and then to ask, so what do you think that means? Like what, what bearing do you think that has on your life? Yeah. Like that's to me, that's so much more meaningful than no offense, Emily. I don't know if you do this in your preaching style or not, but to me, this is, that would be more demonstrable and effective to an individual than, you know, going through a, a whole Christology class. Yes. When like, you don't even like, you're not up there yet, you know? Amen. Y'all are talking my language. <laughs> Great question. I feel like we could keep talking about pastors and um, like the the practice of community for forever. I mean, I feel like we've done multiple episodes on it, but I, I love the your framework for the question this episode. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for tackling this question with me. And I already have notes for future conversation. Ooh. So, but are there any closing remarks or any ahas that you want to end with? Emily, I feel like what you described in that scene of circular table, people being served food, engaging in discussion, conversation, I, I'm struck with just the image of how so many people talk about, like, we need to get back to, like, the early church model, right? And from, from what you described, that honestly kind of sounds more like it than anything else. Mm-hmm. Get back to our roots. Especially table theology and i just think that idea i just wonder if the idea of like a house church or honestly even like a podcast discord or something like that i just 
I wonder if that is just seen too much as a threat to something that has built itself into a literal industry around mm. like the mega church and the Christian Ted talk and the uh, fantastic uh, performances of worship music. Sure. And all that, like it's an industry. And when you, when you challenge it with something like a grassroots house church model where you say church and you think eight people and you don't think auditorium. Yeah. That just, that threatens a lot of things that have been built around the concept of church and that have laid down their roots pretty deep inside people. Like for me, like that's, that's how I was feeling earlier. It was like, you talk about this and I feel like I've heard this same thing, but from that side and right, I just feel an automatic resistance to the idea. But if we can, if we slowly reframe toward what you're talking about and like this house church small idea small bites small bites it's like a baby learning to eat yeah yeah and I, I like i don't know if it eventually just becomes something where the thing gets too big that it collapses under its own weight and if it does then i'm i guess i'm concerned or scared for all the harm that it'll do as it collapses yeah what about you josh well, no i don't have any more thoughts i was going to ask you if you have a small bite to leave us with to end <laughs> nice nice Nice. In the fashion of the priesthood of all believers, my hope and prayer is that we all serve, teach, prophesy, heal, mend, listen, engage, participate, be those who are sent out, be a part of the world, be a part of what you are called to do and to live by and to experience and see all the wonderful things that selfless love can do for the world because you are important you are special and we need you you are needed you are loved